anger isn't a sin, right? Don't let your anger cause you to sin. So God has wrath, but he's holy. So his wrath must also be an aspect of his holiness. When we think of wrath, we think of the, the negative side. It's terrible. It's bad. You don't want it. But God is God. So if he has this aspect of wrath, then it has to be something about him, which is also good. And perhaps what is wrath? It's his love rubbing up against in injustice and evil. And then the result is what we consider to be a, a negative thing or something that's wrong. Welcome to the Christ Church Jerusalem podcast, where we seek to gain a better understanding of the Hebraic context of Scripture. We're delighted that you're joining us this week for our latest Bible study episode. Our aim is to equip our listeners to wrestle with and deepen their understanding of the Word of God with a unique perspective that we bring from Jerusalem. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christ Church Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study. We're in the uh, book of Colossians, and the title of our study is To Walk Worthy uh, in a Manner Worthy of the Lord. So as we look at Paul and we look at his teachings, we have to acknowledge that he's actually trying to get us to a point where we act out our faith uh, in, in, a, in a real way that is worthy of being called a uh, disciple of the Lord. And, uh, and so this is our challenge. And so we've been studying his teachings uh, at, um, the, in two chapters. So let's pray as we understand that the Lord is present. The Spirit is here wherever you are listening on this podcast. Then uh, you're actually a part of our community, even though you might not always might, might not feel like that way. And uh, we might not even know who you are, but the Spirit knows. And so you are part of our community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we delight to once again be uh, in your name, in your kingdom, in your community, and uh, as we, we gather around your word, then let it speak to us again afresh, let it reveal new treasures, new wisdom, new knowledge, and uh, may Lord, by your spirit, may we take hold of the teachings of the Messiah and put them into practice, so that you are honored, you are glorified, and that our walk with you does indeed bring you pleasure and is, a, is a, a walk that is worthy of your name and of your love and of your kingdom. We ask this most humbly in the name of our risen Messiah, Hashem Yeshua. Amen. So let's have a look at chapter three. So um, we'll read all of it and then, uh, then we can get into some arguments. I mean, uh, you'll see what I mean when we get to the end. Alrighty, chapter three of Colossians. I'm reading from an ESV. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, for Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Wow, this is the word of the Lord. There is a, a lot there. So, as is our tradition, as we have just read, what is the, and going on a literal reading of the text, what are the things that jump out at you? Is there anything there that's fresh? Anything there that you always note every single time you read this? Vida. It's the last verse, Aaron. It seemed to really jump out at me. It's that the wrongdoer will be received for the wrong which he has done. Because um, I think in Isaiah it says, and it implying that those, the way I read it, it's something to do with those in Christ, basically those that are in the Lord will receive many stripes, but they won't uh, be be lost from God, if that makes sense. Isaiah somewhere would read something like that, being beaten with many stripes for the wrong he does. So this, when it says he'll receive um, for the wrong he does, I'm assuming this is not at the white throne judgment, but this is in our in our life now, you know, so like a, a chastisement. So that's my question. When is okay. this applying? When does that apply? Okay, so... What we're going here is a um, you reap what you sow, but when does that occur? Okay, is a is a good 
a good question. All right, no, excellent. We'll make a note of that one and see if we can um, come up with an answer. Okay, Kate, sunny Scotland. Yeah, it's, it's just a comment and it struck me um, quite, it, it jumped out at me, as you say, and it's verse three. It says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And yeah. you know, I think that's something that we need to remember that this, this, uh, the life that we're living now is our life with God and it's a different life. For me, well, I read that verse and I'm going, well, where am I hidden? Yes. Well, that, that, was, that was what raised the question. And yeah, I'm supposed to be salt and light and, you know, to not hide myself under a bushel. I'm supposed to be sitting on a hilltop and you get this interesting, you're hidden in Christ. So, okay, well, what does that actually mean? <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, so this is a good, but good question. Yeah. Anything else that jumps out for anybody? Otherwise, we'll start uh, hitting the text. Alrighty, Linda, also sunny Scotland. God. Yeah, it's still sunny here. <laughs> yeah, what struck me is this is when you just read this chapter, as you say, pursuit. It's it's you know about how we should behave, how we should, what thoughts we should have, how we should be thinking, and um, and our nature and everything. And then you you get to verse seventeen that says that it's like sums it all up for me. That is everything you do or say, do in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when it says in the name of, it means in the character, in the nature of, doesn't it? In the spirit of. It has multiple meanings. Yeah. yeah. So if you kind of take that that way, that like everything you do, so you do in the spirit, in the character, in the same kind of nature as Jesus, then that kind of sums up all this, <laughs> the behaviour and our actions and our thoughts that's gone before in chapter three for me. Yeah, this, this, this. His this whole text is arguing telling us to, to have a walk worthy of the Lord. So how do we do that? You know, he's giving us advice, he's giving us admonitions, he's giving us encouragement, and he's giving us some direct, clear teaching. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, we are to look different. Yeah, if if we do all of that, if if we act, if everything we see and everything we do is in the nature of the spirit, the character of Jesus, then that would all be there anyway. So that, for me, just summed it all up, in a sense. Well, he gets quite specific, doesn't he? Husbands to this, wives to this, slaves to this, masters to this. It's quite specific. None of this beating around the bush. Just, look, this is what you do. And um, very direct. All right, Andrew, sunny South Africa. That's a slightly obscure idea. Notice there are almost two lists of things to put away. Uh, first in verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, in you. Mm -hmm, yeah. A little bit further on, it says, but now you must put them all away. So there are almost two lists of things to be dealt with. And I was thinking back to Leviticus, and it's such a slightly obscure thought, uh, that the first list seemed to be things that might be done almost intentionally. And the second list, things that are perhaps less intentional, they do, we don't intend them to happen, but they happen uh, as we go through the day, so mm -hmm. to speak. Nice. Um, so when you, when you read things like put to death, so what does that literally mean for you? Yeah. Well, I, th I 
I think these are the things that we might have done intentionally and which require uh, real repentance. Right, okay. Uh, not that the unintentional things don't require repentance, but it's that's a different sort of repentance in a way uh, than, than things that are done unintentionally. Right. Yeah, putting to death is a more severe form of absolute repentance. I mean, the things that he lists, uh, and a lot of them are based on human sexuality, which, as you can see in our modern world, still running rampant. Um, although it's very interesting for me where he, he ties in this covetousness, this idea of greed, and he turns around and says, which, by the way, is idolatry. <laughs> You're like, oh, my gosh, what, what really is an idol now all of a sudden? Um, and you know, he's, he's urging us to, to repent of these things. These are the things we deliberately want to do. All right, Lisa, sunny Sweden. Uh, yes, it is sunny here now. Um, the verse 11, uh, the last line uh, without uh, that it's ending uh, uh, without uh, slave or free, we are Christ is all in everyone. This uh, jumped up for me as uh, going through the text. And yeah. of course, this, this raises many questions. <laughs> of course, because uh, yeah. slave free, Christ is all in all. And yet, at the end of the letter, he tells slaves and free to do things. So those people groups still seem to exist and still have to do something. So what does he, what does he mean, Sandra? And then we'll continue on. Yeah. Um, so what um, jumps up at me is the same verse as uh, Vida mentioned, the, the, the last one. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. I think we live in a in a time when um, it's like there is no sin, you know. There is all about grace and the grace of God, and it's all grace. And it's like you know, whatever is almost like whatever you do, you're forgiven already. But that's not quite what he's saying. It reminds me of David when he sinned with Bathsheba and did all the things that he did. And Nathan came and confronted him, and he repented. And Nathan said, yep, you're forgiven, but the consequences of what you did is blah, 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 blah. Right. You're absolutely right, Sandra. Um, and that's a really not a good comment and a strong comment that uh, there is forgiveness, but there's still consequences. And, uh, and, and, and we bear those. Our society bears those. Our families bear those but that doesn't mean that we're not forgiven though we sometimes have to remember that even if we are going through a consequence we can't turn around and go oh well was me the lord has not forgiven me so oh, actually you have, he has forgiven you he loves you very much it's just that you're now reaping uh what you sow so although here we are talking about um well i'm sure not let's let, let's wait until we get there who are these wrongdoers and what exactly is going to be um taken care of because god is showing no partiality so who is he not showing partiality about 
you know, is it uh, Jews and Gentiles? Is it believers, non-believers? Is it rich, poor? Is it all of the above? So let's have a look. Okay, so beginning with uh, the this chapter. So if then you've been raised with Christ, and in in his previous chapter we've been he's he's linked us that we're, we're Messiah's in us, we're bound to him, we're sharing in the resurrection, the baptism, the circumcision, all of those things uh, on, a, on a certain level. And of course, none of it makes any sense if there's no resurrection, right? That uh, the Messiah has to rise from the dead to make it all worth it. And of course, he has risen from the dead. Paul has actually met him and he has this uh, ability to say, well, now because this actually has happened, and you're joining in with this resurrected life, then, then what should we look for? Now, remember, his community that he's writing to, which he has never been to, there are some sort of persuaders running around trying to persuade this community to take their knowledge and their wisdom and their way, their view of the world, whether that's Jewish mysticism or Greek philosophy. And, uh, and on some levels, it can be quite mystical. And Paul, you know, as they say, fights fire with fire. He says, no, you want to seek some higher knowledge? Then seek it right at the top, right in, in, in where Jesus is. is uh, and then seek the things that are above, where the Messiah is, where Christ is, because he's seated at the right hand of God. There's not much more higher than that. And it's not through gateways, it's not through um, uh, hidden knowledge or anything like that, it's all angels, um, it's direct. And uh, so how do we do that? By setting our minds on things that are above and not on the things of the earth. And uh, I often, you know, kind of like or dislike these, uh, some of these phrases. I don't tell you how to do that. <laughs> you know, you just get to go seek things of, of above and not earthly. Okay, could you unpack that for me, Paul, please? Um, which he does not do. So, brothers and sisters, do you mind helping me out here? What does it mean to set our minds on things above and not on things that are on earth? Does that mean I just ignore everything that's going on on the planet? Like, I don't bother voting. I don't pay my taxes. Um, who cares about my water bill? I mean, um, like, where do I go here? So, uh, Vida. It's interesting what you said, because we still have to be doing our father's business, which is bringing people to the kingdom, living in this world, doing, we, we are still sojourners in this world until we take them home. But it's very, it's fascinating to me for me to set your mind on things above is to be spiritual, to walk in the spirit, because it says those who walk in the flesh are, you know, are basically dead, but those that are walk in the spirit are, are, have life, I think in Romans. And so to me, it comes back to this fact where he's going back, we are risen with Christ, but in order to get to that risen part, we have to die because it says, if you are risen, and then he talks about the death. So as a Christian, we have to go through that death process of all the, the soulish things, the mm -hmm. things that our soul lust after, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, and the spiritual, 
the new spiritual life and the and the the laws God's written in our heart have to now start dominating and overcoming those soulish flesh desires. It's not not to be in the world, but not to be of the world. Yep, this, and we we say all these sentences because we seem to have this Christian speak, and we kind of know. But if you're a new believer, because as some of you know, um, I do a lot of discipleship of new believers. I'm going to tell you right now it is really hard to explain this. No, it really is. Um, it's you know, some, you know, it's not just the case of, well, just, you know, get the Holy spirit and you'll get downloaded from heaven. And I won't have to tell you that's not the way it works. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a struggle, but I a hundred percent agree with you, Vida. We just got to figure out how, what does it actually practically look like and how do we live that out? And how do we also explain it? But when we're born again, surely what happens is we now start loving the things of God and we start hating the things that are against God. And I think in, in a context, that's really what takes place now, where before we desired all those gratifications of the flesh, now what we're doing is we just love to be pleasing to God and, and what he loves, we start loving. Okay, so then by that definition, what happens if we discover ourselves uh, not despising the the things of the earth so what does because, that mean for us and that happens because i think this is what happens in many christian we, we start judging people but god is dealing with each one individually and so things that i used to do five years ago not even think about now mm -hmm. as i'm progressing with the lord they become grievous to me you know and so as we're progressing in our use the word sanctification here but as we are being changed more and more into the image of christ so we start slowly seeing and as we stay in the word we start seeing what is pleasing to god and that's mm -hmm. growing because the milk i think i think in um hebrews it says and the meat is to to discern what's right and wrong yeah. and i think that's what we have to grow into christians and start discerning that so we can and then those things become more grievous yeah, one of the fruits of the spirit or one of the gifts of the spirit is discernment. Yeah. And um, it's really valuable to have a brother or a sister who has that gift in our community who can run around and, and help us along and go, uh, I got to tell you, uh, there's a, that's actually not appropriate. That's not good. That's not going to be beneficial in the long term. You might not see that, but, but I can. So, um, and that's actually incredibly valuable. Yeah. Arya, you've been patient with a hand raised. <laughs> yeah, with regard to what does it mean to think on things that are above? Okay, it's a really enough. lofty, lofty, challenging, and even uplifting phrase. I, I found myself thinking of the Old Testament, very, very down to earth, practical parallel or, ex or, or exhortation, which is to uh, Read in the book of these instructions, meditate on them day and night, talk about them while you're in the way, teach your children. And uh, I have found, as I think I've had some growth in this issue along many years, I, a lot of my waking time is spent thinking about the scriptures. And I love nothing better than to hear someone else say what the Lord has said to them today from something and even taking it out of context. What's the spirit saying? It seems to be a medium that God blesses and draws us to. In fact, we're, we're all doing exactly this right now. Right. But that's really good. So, so in, in the Hebraic wisdom, um, meditating on the word of God 
And I like the way King David writes this, you know, day and night I meditate on your word. Uh, he doesn't say he solves it. You know, I always, I always appreciate that. It's like, it's not that I figured it out, Lord, but boy, I was meditating on, the, on those mysteries, pondering them, discussing them, discerning them, talking about them, walking about them, trying to figure out how to put them into practice, learning where I went wrong, putting them into practice, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so that's, a, that's good advice, REA, setting your mind on things above. What's, what's above or what came down? The word made flesh, the word of God, the Torah, the instructions at Mount Sinai, et cetera, et cetera. Ponder them, discuss them, discern them. And, uh, and you're right. Um, there are many people who, who we really enjoy having a study. It not only just makes us feel good to be amongst brothers and sisters, but it also really helps knowing that perhaps this actually can make my walk with the Lord just that little bit better, uh, which is, is a great thing. All right. So what are the things of the earth? I mean, obviously, they're the opposite to the things of heaven. But what would we, if we were talking to a new brother, new sister, new disciple, and they were trying to say, well, what are the things of the earth, Aaron? What would, what would we say back? Any ideas? I can say what it's not. It's, okay. We can't. We can't tell <laughs> we can, people. Hebrew is called Derek Hashlila. Just let's. Yes, say, we yeah. cannot tell people that this is a list of things you cannot do, and this is a list of things you have to do. There Paul's go. going deeper here. He's yeah. talking about you know, the inner reality. He would say, deny in ourselves. What? What? And how you do that is maybe a challenge. But we, God forbid, we give anybody a list of rules. You often do it though for new believers. Right. You often say, well, you know, um, what don't I yes. do? Yeah. Very easy. It comes very naturally. It does. And, uh, and then often, so we, we might call that the milk, so to speak. The new guy you know, who's to say, well, actually, you probably shouldn't go to strip, strip clubs. In fact, I know you shouldn't. So don't do that. I mean, there, there's a rule. Um, so we, and then they kind of figure that out themselves, hopefully, <laughs> a little bit later on down the track. But you know, yeah, you've got to. But uh, as we say, start somewhere. And um, but but remember, who's Paul talking about? He's talking about these persuaders who are very good at it. They're very good at persuading. And um, and so he's he's, uh, he's encouraging his people to not follow their persuasive, deceptive arguments, but his persuasive arguments, and uh, and, and and rely on on the Lord. Okay, so Teresa. I was just going to suggest that maybe it's about not focusing on all the materialism and, you know, new technology um, is, is a most incredible example of that, isn't it, really? Because it draws you. I mean, if you just look at things like, I have this phone, and then, oh, I'm going to upgrade because I've been offered an upgrade on it. And then, oh, I'll have another upgrade, and then I'll have this and I'll have that. It's that, that push of materialism, and it's coming from the outside an awful lot, you know, with the seduction of the different ads and emails and texts you get. So that, that was one thing. And it's easy to, I mean, I'm not too much into new technology, but it's easy to get seduced into following the wrong things. And what really, oh, quite a long time ago now, and I can't remember if it was I think it was Dwight Pryor, or it was the late Rabbi Sachs, who said, um, we, don't we don't pursue happiness, we pursue holiness. 
and in regard actually to talking about Sukkot and I, I that really touched me because I thought actually if you can keep that in your mind but again you've got to understand what holiness means of course it means you know the different behavior doesn't it set apart but it's just that I find that really also also a perspective I mean I don't think obviously there's no one answer but it's something about that and it's so easy to fall short of that all the time really it is but yeah thank you very much i also often succumb to the materialism particularly when you look at uh because we all use it you know you you use your computer you use your phone uh on regularly so it's always handy or become the trap to say well i'd better upgrade because then my ministry would be better it's like well hang on maybe if i focused on jesus my ministry would be better and uh, um as opposed to the the object so very good kate um it's just just i've I've thought about this quite a lot in my life really um because if you don't have people to discuss this subject with or if you're just reading a bible and you're reading on your own um the things that you have to teach you really are in your own life. And I wonder if um, we, are, we have a God-given instinct, which can, if we, if we trust it, we can discern between what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes um, what I found in my life is that um, when something's happened, and I, I, you know, you sometimes feel that it's so unfair. This, why has this happened? I don't understand, you know, what, what was it that I did that was so displeasing that um, I was affected in this way? Sometimes it's a long time after that event that you actually realise that this, and, and this is just personal, that this is God has shown you something. Do you think we, we are given lessons in life? We, we are sometimes blind to what's going on in our own lives. Um, and perhaps we, if we think about what's happening in our lives, what makes our lives better, we can see that this is where God is. Just my well, Obviously, I, I can't speak for everyone, so I'll just generalize anyway. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think, you know, we, we probably all have blind spots, if we're going to be honest. And I think the great treasure of being with brothers and sisters is that many times they can discern for us and it's the grace and mercy that we have with each other to be able to say yep you did see a fault in me and um uh, dang it i'm gonna have to work on that one and uh but thank you for pointing that out because i hadn't seen it before and that's a treasure and uh, it can be for a great community you know build each other up bind each other in love you know these are these are subjects that paul's mentioning even in this text but in other ones as well and um in this one in this colossians in particular particularly this chapter we discover that um that uh unity uh is behavioral unity is not theological yes there are some non-negotiables right um but there's a little bit of gray there and uh and so when he gets into chapter 3 uh 12 and 13 we will see that um that the unity that he's talking about is actually a behavior which is this whole book get yourselves a walk in a manner that's worthy of the lord 
that's what this pulled this idea up is that here he's asking people to work together to to achieve this and it's some it's, it's that's what pulled the idea up is that is there something within us that we know when things are right and wrong i think i think there is but yeah uh, i think so and uh, uh just drawing a comment from vitech uh, I won't read the whole thing out, other than to say that um, that uh, the uh, quoting from one of Paul's other letters, the letter to the Philippians, that um, people's being mindset on earthly things it it uh, it leads to destruction, and therefore Paul cries and he weeps about it, and um, and that hopefully should be also our attitude that uh, you know we don't want to see people addicted to the world we all live in it of course i'm not saying we don't but we don't be addicted to it all right joy joy rousey sunny canada i think this is maybe um where the concept of a soul friend comes soul in friend. okay someone a spiritual friend that can walk beside you that is a confident that is a um calls you to account it's only in recent years that I have made a connection like that, and it has been very valuable. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes sometimes it can feel dangerous for us, you know, like to be vulnerable to share. You know, we we, we often can get quite individualistic. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should remind ourselves that we're called to a community, and therefore that uh, makes us vulnerable. You know, once you get into a group and uh, people start talking to you, people start getting to know who you are and they'll talk about you behind your back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so we make ourselves uh, vulnerable. But at the same time, there's a reward. And the blessing is those that, um, that vulnerability is accountability and also an encouragement. As, uh, as, as Paul admonishes Timothy, don't give up the habit of meeting uh, and uh, and fellowshipping with others. And for those that um, have ever read the Didache or know of this text, which is an early um, Christian document on the teachings of the apostles, um, it says, every day seek the company of the saints. That's it. As, as, as you're looking at this new community that's, that's beginning to develop, you know, the encouragement was, seek them out find them don't just go to work and come back and be on your own but, but look for a friend and, and and go over their house and and uh and and of course that might prompt a meditation on the word a discussion on the way a rebuke a kindness an encouragement of all those kinds of things that can only happen when um when you get together joy rousey Yes, this is a deep Christian relationship where you can be called to live up to some of the things we're talking about today, or perhaps be exposed to the idea that um, in some way I could um, use some counseling. Thanks, Joy. Um, comment by Andrew, definitely uh, worthy of our, uh, uh, to, to say it out. Earthly things, right, which we uh, which we somehow uh, which we somehow do understand, seems an unfortunate term, right? Perhaps maybe even inaccurate, as God did create the earth for us to enjoy and protect. So uh, it's not that the earth is 
evil because when God made the world, it was good. And, uh, and creation is also groaning for its redemption, not its destruction. And so it would be the Gnostic view which would say, let's only think of the spiritual realm because physical realm is bad. So I think what we're, we're, we're talking about here, what we need to try and understand is, is the, perhaps it's the materialism, it's the aspects of, of uh, our societies that only keep things physical, you know, and, uh, and often that is a, is a trick uh, for us. The, uh, the idea that uh, you know, satisfy yourself for tomorrow you die. Um, uh, you know, always be good to yourself. You deserve the best and all those kinds of things. Um, it's not to say that the earth is bad or that, God, or that God didn't love the world. He does. He wants to take care of it. But he certainly don't want it to become the God or the idol. So verse 3. So in verse 1, we have been, in, and in the previous chapter, he's talked about dying with Christ, rising with Christ, was raised with him. Now he goes along and says, okay, if you have died with the Messiah in, as part of his, his journey, um, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. So how, how is our life hidden? What is it hidden from? That's my, uh, a good question. Why are we hidden in Christ as opposed to boldly proclaiming the Lord? Right? Uh, it's not that we are supposed to hide our light. It's supposed to shine our light. So any ideas? Any, anybody want to try and help me out here? Go for it, Velma. Sunny Island. And if it look, the picture is any clue, it looks sunny there. It is absolutely glorious. <laughs> It's the one day of the year where that happens, and we've got it. Uh, we've had about two weeks of this. So oh, wow. we call it exam weather. It's when all the children are doing their finals. And dear love them, they're sitting trying to study in this beautiful sunshine. <laughs> I saw it as, um, I don't know, when I read this, because um, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ, um, it was like, the old life has been hidden in Christ because he has um, taken the desires for the old life away and people will then see the new life that's in you, you know, what's different. And you say, it's because I have faith, I, I have Christ. And that is a process Um especially when you read on and the things that you have to put aside and, and then acquiring the fruit of the spirit from it, that um, the old sinful nature is hidden in him because his presence and his spirit in you um, puts it to death and the new you comes out and bears fruit. Okay. That actually links Velma verse two and three together. Right? And David Bell just put it in tract. Hidden versus revealed is a running theme in the letter. Yes, excellent. So there is something that is hidden. And so on one level, there is a bit of protection and security. That's true. I mean, what are we protecting ourselves from? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of the persuasers? Are we afraid of their deceitful lies? And what is it that are we being protected from? Or is it yeah, the old self, the the these immoral activities, which we're going to be describing in a minute, that bit is hidden away. But then, because Messiah has uh, 
come to life and he's he's actually resurrected we're joining in that and so we are now alive and revealing uh, ourselves the the old self is is protected and hidden and taken care of and forgiven and all those kinds of nice thoughts and then there's another side of us that's actually um, exposing ourselves to the world the, the the person of right conduct the person that's actually living and loving and uh, and, and acting like the Messiah, the person that is actually um, fighting back the, the darkness with their light in, in, in any way that that actually means, whether that's a healing proclamation or just being kind. So, all right, REA, sunny Jerusalem. With regard to the hidden in Christ thought, there are two or three parallel scriptural thoughts that came to mind. Uh, Perhaps the best one uh, is in John. He says, it does not yet appear what we shall be. And yet we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And it seems to refer to in many, some ways that when we came into Christ, we in some way became hidden with him as part of his knowledge and wisdom that remains to be revealed the rest of creation as, as Paul wrote to I believe the Romans that the creation groans for the revelation of the children of God it, we're we are secret agents in large measure and the revelation of who we are exactly is a work in progress so on one level we still walk around openly and on another level there's still something that isn't quite yet revealed in us it's quite an interesting thing there's still something yet to be revealed yet you and i are still running around proclaiming the truth right now one hopes and, uh, still shining our light right now I'll, do you know what verse it is in john do you mind if i so i can write it down oh. It's in, in uh, somewhere in chapters one through five of first John. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll look for it. Okay. <laughs> Tomorrow's and I and I would note on this on this subject that the Bible never quotes a chapter or verse either. It's we true. only get a book. No, and if we right. want to question it, we go and read the whole book. That's all right. Okay. Well okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll do that then. <laughs> Teresa, sunny London. In my ESV study. Bible, it says um, Paul is talking in the language of Isaiah and of the Psalms and references um, so, uh, Isaiah 49.2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me like a po polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Okay, so the, the, that's the uh, Isaiah 49. Yeah, 49.2. Okay. Okay. So, and, and there, the prophet is referring to himself or to um, something else. I don't know. But anyway, that's the language that he's using, this idea of actually being protected and hidden away. Um, and Psalm 27.5, they yeah. mention as well here. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He well, that will definitely me is us. Yep. He will lift me high upon a rock. Yeah, that's definitely us. That's God definitely sheltering and protecting us there and nurturing it's us. It's very much about a protection, isn't it, under attack? So there, right. So there is, on that level, there's a, a, an essence of security. Uh, but it also linked to verse 3, as we've mentioned, that 
there is this thing that comes. The, there is something that's still yet to be revealed. So when Christ, who is your life, okay, when he finally appears, then we'll also appear with him in glory, in all gloriousness, uh, rising from the dead, etc., etc., um, and, and then never being alone from him. So another thing that we're supposed to put to death, because we've died in the Messiah, so now put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, right? And here we now are talking rather carnal things. So the expression here is uh, not just physical, because there's lots of other physical things we do which are good, but here we're talking about carnal things which are bad, and these are sexual immorality, impurity. Uh, now, this is what my translation says. I'm sure perhaps other translations might have various uh, uh, nuances on the same, same theme. Passions, evil desires, and greed or covetousness, which is idolatry. So here you get um, a, uh, this idea that we actually have to develop moral purity, that part of our walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord is definitely not these things. Okay? So, and uh, many of Paul's epistles um, make reference to these. Uh, the, the, the Colossians are not the only ones doing these things. And uh, 2,000 years later, there's lots more people still doing these things. But uh, the, the believer is not to do these things. On account of these, so here we have these carnal things, many of them being sexual immorality, um, which is quite rampant. And um, uh, when you get to Acts 15, what's one of the four rules we've got to tell Gentiles not to do? Fornication. Yes, it's a, it seems like it's a rampant thing. And, um, and so on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You know, now uh, I've been challenged to do a study on the wrath of God just last night, actually. And uh, so uh, here we go. We're, 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 it's picking up already. What's the wrath of God going to do? The wrath of God is going to come and do what? Why, what's so, why is this deserving of the wrath of God? These are, these, are, these are vices. They're all destructive, of course, and they're to be avoided, absolutely. Um, but on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. How do you read that, guys? What spurs the wrath that, uh, that God decides, okay, on account of this, you know, I'm on my way? Uh, Vida? Uh, just on, on the wrath, I'm not 100% sure what spurs it, but it, it's, if, if I understood from Isaiah, Isaiah, we're talking a bit about the wrath. I think it's Isaiah. It seems to imply this wrath is the fury of God. It's just been, he's been, it's been boiling up in God. It's like a frothing of his mouth. You know, it's like he's, he's so angry that everything's frothing. He, he's just, he's been taking and taking and taking long suffering. And then suddenly it's just, he's declared it's enough and he's coming to judge. So, but my question was on this, the wrath. Is it the children of disobedience? Because he uses the word children, is it implying that this is for those that should know better and are believers, supposed believers, like the five foolish virgins, if that makes any sense? You know, you've got this analogy that there could be some that should know, or is it the people that reject Christ, like the Esau, 
it, it, you know, spiritually Esau is a picture of the rejection, in, in my mind anyway. Well, I think it's shared here by uh, David, who's put a chat in there. These deeds are part and parcel of refusing to live by the Spirit. Right? Yeah. Sort of, yes. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the Spirit... Um, you'll live. You'll live. And then it seems this is a rejection of the Lord's presence that draws a wrathful response. So that's, that's an easy way of saying it. It's a rejection of the Lord's presence that draws a wrathful, wrathful response. Yeah, that's interesting because the actual text is saying on account of these things, you know, wrath is coming. Yeah, because that's a very good, that's a good point. I mean, just the scripture that jumped to mind was the one where Lord Jesus says to those, oh, Lord, I did this in your name and I did that in your name. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you because you workers of iniquity. Mm -hmm. You're right. There's, that's right. So there was something that they actually physically did. Yes, yeah. not that they physically... Yeah, it's not a it's not a judgment on a belief in your head it's a physical thing you did so it's an interesting thought okay uh, aria uh, there's a parallel passage in romans uh, chapter one okay, and on. which which clarifies through the greek text a word here that i think we in english translation tend to read as a future when it's actually a present this coming is coming we 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 actually kind of translate in our mind as a future it's going to come but it the greek is present it's currently now continuously repeatedly coming in 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 the colossians 3 here yes and the, the parallel passage in romans 1 says the wrath of god is currently repeatedly continuously being revealed against the unrighteousness of ungodly people who constrain the the truth and that constraining of the truth is parallel to the sons of disobedience in Colossians. So in the big picture, we're not part of this. Uh, but of course, we have to be careful because we can constrain the truth as well. And we can also fall into disobedience. So we're not sons or daughters of disobedience. It's not our identity and it's not our permanent status. But uh, that, that, is, that is there. And uh, God's wrath, uh, we don't see fire and brimstone being fa falling everywhere around about us. But if we look carefully at people's lives, uh, God, as we discussed, lets everyone reap what we sow. And many times it's not pretty, especially if you're in unbelief and have no understanding of what's going on. It just tends to drive you into deeper and deeper rebellion. Um, thank you very much. The we don't see fire and brimstone, absolutely. But what we do see is the consequence of actions, the reaping what we sow, the, um, the, this, you know, our society, which has thrown off the shackles of marriage and uh, now has, you know, just under, you know, liberated our sexuality, has actually now chained us to some very, very horrible family dynamics where we have. Uh, you know, uh, couples or, or family units that have multiple fathers to multiple children in the same family. You know, no one knows who's where, what. No one's living uh, uh, with, with right models. And that's just, we're reaping uh, wrath, which we've done on ourselves. And, uh, which is, and that's happening, happening right now. So, in, so that's interesting. This is a present continuous. Thanks, Ari. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. A quick question. 
sorry to interrupt, Erin, on this wrath for the sons of disobedience and all that, can it also be believers get caught up into it in a sense of a nation is also judged? Let's say, for example, America was going through now, or Britain, what, you know, with all the, the evil that we're just adopting in, in, our, in our culture. I mean, even homosexuality, all of those kind of things. The nation gets judged, and we as believers have to walk. You know, Lucasiah went into exile. He was still a righteous man in a sense, you know, obviously, but he had to still bear the consequences of the nation's judgment. Yep, so did Daniel. There was a lot of heroes yeah. and exactly. just about all of the early Christians <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, were, were living in um, uh, an, a very, an environment that, was, that certainly wasn't conducive to their faith. Um, but yes, what you're bringing up here is a very important topic. Is, the, is this wrath only for individuals? No, it can also be for family units, communities and nations. And of course... Believers are caught up in that. Yeah, but also, Aaron, if you go back, it's not just because the nation's wrong. It's because the the supposed believers. I, I just look at the churches in Britain. Okay. They are so apostate, and it's. I think also, you know, if my people humble themselves, then I'll heal the land. But I think that the church is so apostate that this is also a wake up call to the church per se, because so. we in, we've adopted we become idolatrous and, and we, we're doing everything it's talking about here in a sense. Yeah, particularly when the what Paul labels as idolatry here is greed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, uh, we, we live in some of the richest societies that have ever been on the planet in all of human history, and yet we are not satisfied, And uh, which is incredible, isn't it? You know, and um, I think what happened where we, where we just can't be happy just sitting down having a cup of coffee when a thousand years ago your average peasant would have just loved that experience right and um and, and something happened where we've taken so much for granted and etc cetera, etc cetera. and, and perhaps and not not perhaps paul is right greed is idolatry that's 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 a good thing to to learn um so jan with the lovely picture of florida Okay, thank you. Um, I wanted to just share a definition of the wrath of God that I've learned over the years through, uh, I can't remember which book in the Bible I was studying, but the, de the definition that I have is the wrath of God is not the irritability of God. Rather, the wrath of God is actually the love of God in friction with injustice. And an example of that is when in the temple, when Jesus turned over the tables the issue was not that the people were selling the animals for sacrifices, but rather that they were profiting off the people for the animals. Jesus is always looking out for the least of these or incurring injustice. The injustice or the least of these was happening in the temple, if that makes any sense. I, I was taking notes. I don't know if I got it quite right, but the wrath of God is not. Is God's, God's love rubbing up against injustice? Yeah, you can put it in words better than I can, Aaron. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, all right. But uh, okay, made a note. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. You're welcome. Awesome. Okay. Um, any other thoughts about uh, the wrath of God? Because uh, God's anger does appear all throughout the Bible. 
right? Both in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. Obviously, we've just experienced some. And as Ari has pointed out, it's in present continuous text, which is going to be really valuable for me next week when I talk about this. But um, it appears in our Torah portion this week for those that are following the Torah portion, which is in Numbers, where um, the people complain to Moses and God gets angry. And you go, oh, my gosh, how'd that happen? You know, um, and, he, and in the today's in the this week's Torah portion, he gets angry twice. Right. And uh, and so there is this this sort of idea that um, something happens uh, on the planet uh, with his people or he's paying attention or he's being observant and uh, he hears or experiences something. And then he himself goes, he gets angry and then a whole bunch of people die. And um, and so, uh, you know, what's that what's that expression? Um, Don't fall into the hands of an angry God. So the, God is love, yes, but he also has this other emotion. He's got all the emotions. He's in better control of his emotions, but he still gets angry. And in his case, we would probably describe it as righteous anger. He has the right to get angry. Not everybody does. Uh, and as there, we also can, can, would say, anger isn't a sin right? Don't let your anger cause you to sin, is actually the, uh, the phrase. And um, so God has wrath, but he's holy. So his wrath must also be an aspect of his holiness in some way, which is an interesting thought. Is, uh, um, when we think of wrath, we think of the, the negative side. It's terrible. It's bad. You don't want it. But God is God. So if he has this aspect of wrath, then it has to be something about him, which is also uh, good. And perhaps like the way Jan was describing, what is wrath? It's his love, perhaps rubbing up against in, injustice and evil. And then the result is what we consider to be a, uh, a negative thing or something that's wrong. So the Jewish people had this tension when they were reading the Bible many, many, many thousands of years ago. They were reading the text and they were going, God is great. God is love. God made the world. He's absolutely fantastic. What's this raining death on Sodom and Gomorrah again? Um, you know, why are we drowning all these people? Um, why are we wiping out Canaanites? Um, who's actually really killing people in Egypt? You know, there's this, there's this, there's, you've got this incredible idea of how God is love, but he's killing all these people. Um, and so they they wrestled with this, and so they they would, would create they would create characters who would do all the killing for God, right? You know, whether it's the angel of death or uh, a guy that they ended up calling in the Talmud Metatron. You ever heard of him? I always love that name. You know, I wonder how, who invented it. Okay, the Metatron, and it sounds like you know a robot, you know, a dynamic divine robot that uh, is in heaven. But it was before they even had such a thing. Um, so the Jewish people were wrestling with this. So, of course, Christianity is going to wrestle with this too. And you can get to the streams where people go, well, I don't really like the whole idea of God being wrathful. So, in fact, um, we'll just decide that he's not. And um, he's just going to have always love. He'll, he just loves people because um, he's so good. And, uh, and But here you have 
a warning from Paul. And it's very interesting that it's in the present continuous. It's not that God's wrath is coming, so be careful. He's hiding around the corner, and when he sees you doing a bad thing, he's going to jump out and hit you with a hammer. It's uh, actually, it's occurring already, right? The reaping and the sowing is occurring right now. The consequences to actions are occurring right now, and we're living in a world that's in open rebellion to the Lord. So what do we expect? But having said that, as um, Aria noted, and as Paul has been noted, we are in Christ. We're not part of that system. We might be experience some of its effects, but uh, but we're um, uh, our walk has to be different from the world's walk. All right. So we have to, as Paul is saying, put to death these things. They die with our with uh, with our old life so that when we rise we're not doing these things um so in these and he as paul in this is now verse seven paul is now reflecting on uh these former pagans um and uh, non-believers of course he's never met them so he's you know probably hearing reports of 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 from epiphras so what was this community like when you when you showed up well they were doing xyz but now they do this cool in these, you once, you too once walked, and when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he goes through a series of again um, emotions uh, and and uh, and vices that are destructive: anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Okay, well that's half of Australians gone. Okay. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll work on it when we're dead. Yeah. Um, don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put on your old self with its practices. And the new self, okay, which is going to be the opposite to these things, and is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You know, this idea of um, you know, being a disciple, so that you look like the master, that we actually walk like him, talk like him, act like him, love like him. In fact, that's the way his commands are, you know, be like me. Right? And, uh, and so we have these, these, these vices, which are still very much living and, 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 and well in our society. The old self and the new self. Um, and the new self, how does it, it's, it's also wrapped up in knowledge, which is the persuasion that, that, that is uh, that these Colossians are being tempted to. So he uses it here as well as, a, as like a counter. It's the knowledge of, of God, which is you know, the meditation of the word, the discussions along the way, the, uh, the, the Bible studies, the, the, the daily readings, the med- all those kinds of things. And eventually we, we get constantly a little bit better into the image of the creator. And then, interestingly, and I wonder why he has to put it in there. So let's talk about it. Verse 11. So here, there is not Jew, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, which is an interesting, he doesn't normally throw that in there, but he's thrown it in here, slave free, but Christ is all in all. So why do you think Paul has to now break down 
uh, distinctions within within the community. If the new self has is devoid of these distinctions, why do you think Paul has to describe that here? Any ideas? Of course, we don't 100% know, of course, but we can make conjecture, perhaps. I'm going to assume that the community at Colossae is a mix, maybe small portion of Jewish people living here. Don't really know if there was a large Jewish community, but there might have been a mix. There definitely is a mix of uh, socioeconomic levels within this community, because he's going to mention them a bit later. Um, okay, any ideas? Who are the Scythians? Any, any idea? Why, why is he mentioning them here? They're the, the grassland tribes north of the Black Sea. So they're actually close. No, that they're far away, north of the Black Sea? Yeah, they made incursions occasionally as far south as uh, Asia Minor, where Colossae is. They would have okay. seen Scythians probably. And some of them may have actually started having residency within Greek lands? Probably, they were all mixed up. Uh, the gospel and this leveling mechanism in Christ is so radical that it has to be repeated. Of course, it's a work of the spirit, and yet affirming it in words is, is just stunning for someone in the stratified, patriarchal, uh, Greco-Roman society. This is, this is a huge threat to, to Greco-Roman culture, faith. So Even for those that might not realize what Aria is saying, in the Greco-Roman world, now their empire had expanded. So it has embraced and taken over and conquered and moved people around and people have moved around because of commerce, huge numbers of different, different ethnic groups. So if you went to a city, it would be quite probably a vibrant area and there would be the quarter of the Jews and the area for you know, um, the Germans or the Franks or whatever, the Gauls, right? Um, uh, how did the Galatians, get there they were originally from france right they were gauls next minute they're in asia minor and we call modern day turkey and we call their area the galatians they um uh but but here you've got in the in the in terms of the kingdom of heaven before the messiah there's the distinctions break down and there's no sort of ethnic ethnic ethnicity boundary there's still ethnicity for example, when John looks into heaven in Revelation, he sees people from every tribe and tongue, right? So they're still there, but the distinctiveness and the things that might separate people based on those ethnicities is no longer a valid thing. So that doesn't mean that they disappear. It's that, you know, just because I'm a, I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm now no longer Australian, okay? That still exists but it shouldn't have a bearing when I go and meet New Zealanders. So for example, right? Because of, of the Messiah, we should be able to get on. And so should the Scots and the English. I know it's really tough guys, but in the Messiah, you know, you can do it, all right? And, and in, in this part of the world, Jews and Arabs, right? That's the classic one. In the Messiah, those two groups can come together. It's pretty hard. And here in Brazil, Brazilians and the Argentinians. <laughs> well, you have that, okay, those two. Oh, yes, some of the jokes you told me. Um, <clears throat> we'll edit that bit out. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> the Brazilians and the Argentinians. Are, are some of these people setting themselves above others? Are some of them saying, 
well, you know, we're naturally better than you, or, you know, we're yep. much, you know, and this is what people, people were do. doing that. Yep. And then they combine with each other and talk behind each other's backs. So you oh. could have one group being ostracized um, unintentionally or intentionally. And, and the whole point of a Christian life and a Christian community is people being together in their, in their thought and their worship. Yep, because the next thing after this is what does unity look like? Yes. But we'll talk about it next week. We won't get into it now. But is it's behavioral. It's not based on identity. Uh, yes. Sorry, ethnicity. Because your identity is in Christ, is in the Messiah, is in, and is in the, the one new man. All those beautiful words that we, that we talk about. All right. Got a bunch of hands. Let's honor the hands here. Thank you. Um, I find looking at the New King James and the complete Jewish Bible to be rather insightful. New King James uses the term barbarian, Scythian, yep. and the complete Jewish Bible says foreigner, savage. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So were... <laughs> Definitely looking down on them. Okay, yes. And, uh, and Paul is obviously saying, don't be like that because in the it doesn't it that doesn't exist so but uh it's hard isn't it it's 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 hard for us to um to live like that that's one of our callings to walk like that that's a that's a walk worthy uh of the lord is the ability to walk alongside our brother that uh we in in other communities they might not want to do so Teresa. Yeah, it's a salutary thought, but I think we have to face also that Christian groups are very good sometimes at um, looking down on other Christian groups. Yes. You know, <laughs> or we, you know, oh, they're only, da, 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 or they only believe this, and uh, we see ourselves as superior or inferior because all the others see, see us as inferior, for example. So I think that we need to look at ourselves as well and how we treat other Christians as well as how we treat other people groups. Absolutely because let's remember who he's talking to he's actually talking to the believers so he's making sure okay believers this is how you behave. I get the non-believers the non they're never going to be able to agree to do this um, but you, you have to this is um, part of the, of the walk, part of the calling that we accept uh, when we die with the Messiah and rise with him and uh, so it's not that there are no Jews or Greeks or males or females. We know all that, but that has got to have no bearing on the way we treat each other and how we relate to each other. In fact, uh, you know, it's all, we should delight to seek out the saints from, from all walks of, uh, of, uh, of the Christian world. It will be good for us. 